Hey guys, welcome to The Rebirth of a Once Married Latina, a podcast where I share my journey through marriage, divorce, and the life that comes after it. On this podcast, we'll talk about things like parenthood, co-parenting, the triumphs and tribulations of a single parent, the stigmas of divorce, trauma, mental health, and the healing that comes with all of that. But don't fret, my friends. We'll cover the fun things too, like sex, relationships, diet and exercise, beauty products, and anything else that we might find interesting. So grab your podcast essentials and join me for the ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number one. I'm so happy for you to be joining me through my journey here. Happy New Year. Happy 2021 and adios 2020. I really hope that this year brings you everything you want and then some. This podcast is something that I've been working on for a little bit of time now. Uh, So bear with me as we kind of just go through the motions of it. I promise as uh, we produce more episodes, I will get better and the show will get better in itself. The seed was planted many, many moons ago. And last year, I just finally decided, okay, it's time. So we're here. And as I was starting to outline the show episodes and how they were going to go and where I wanted to start, I really had a hard time deciding where to begin because, you know, I want to share everything with you guys, but I didn't put it sure if I wanted to start at the beginning and tell you my E True Life Hollywood story or start at the divorce or start where I'm at now. And as I was trying to figure out that outline, I reached out to people that, you know, have been doing this for a while. And I spoke to someone and he brought something up and he made a really good point. He told me, you know, there's a picture on your Instagram page where it's you, your ex-husband and your son. And it's, you know, I believe it's your son's birthday party. And the caption read something along the lines of starting to relearn each other as individuals versus husband and wife. And he said, you know, I really think that's a really great place for you to start because that's where you're at right now. And after that moment, I went back home and I pulled up the Instagram photo and I was looking at it and I was rereading the caption because in that specific moment, that is exactly what I felt that we do have to relearn each other as individuals and not husbands and wives anymore because we're not that anymore, right? Immediately after that, you know, I came home and I sat down and I was writing a few things that really helped me get to that point. We're still definitely learning what works for us. I'm still definitely learning what works for me and my boundaries because I was with him for a very long time and I was really young. I don't like when people say, I didn't know myself. We're always figuring out who we are and we're always evolving. So I was just younger, maybe a little bit more naive. So I jotted down a few things and I came up with eight points. And I think that's where we're going to start. Because if you look at that picture, we we look really good. We look really happy. We look like we have our shit together. You know, we look like the perfect co-parenting poster board, right? Like how cool that we can do birthday parties together for the sake of our child. And yes, we can, but that just didn't happen overnight. And there's still work to be done there. Believe me, we're not 100% there. We still have triumphs and tribulations, sometimes more tribulations and triumphs. But I'm learning how to cope with it 
because guess what? I can only speak for myself. I don't know what he's going through. I don't know how he feels or what he's dealing with. So these are things that I've learned that I really wish, one, somebody would have told me. Two, when they did tell me, I really wish I would have listened. And three, when this, you know, whomever, this magical fairy told me these things, I really wish I would have practiced them at the beginning of the separation. Now, definitely, I do have to remind myself to keep practicing these things and keep being consistent because that's the only way we're going to see change, right? Is if we are consistent. So let's take a little short break. We're going to come back and I'm just going to jump right into it. Okay. Welcome back. Did you get some water? Did you check on the kiddos? I checked on mine. He's good. So before I go into it, I just want to say really quickly, I am not a licensed therapist. I'm not a marriage counselor. I am not a teacher. I am not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor or nurse. I am just a girl trying to live her life and raise a pretty decent human being while healing her own traumas in a nutshell. So take whatever serves you from this podcast and whatever doesn't serve you, just leave it here. And it's okay if we disagree. We don't have to agree on everything, but we're still going to be cool and we're still going to be friends. I'm 35. I've been married. I've been divorced. I have a little one now and I'm trying to navigate being a single parent and co-parenting and all this other stuff. And I've learned some shit, guys. I've gone through some stuff. And I want to share that with you because if you or anyone you know or somebody out there, if this podcast just reaches out to one person who is going through anything like I went through and can help them navigate that, then cool. I don't want you to have the same kind of hurt I did. That's my little disclaimer. I want to tell you a story of a girl who had a certain type of, shall we say, expectation of what co-parenting was going to look like for her and her ex-husband and their child. She thought that it was going to be so super easy and everyone was going to get along and they were going to continue to be able to do family things. Everyone was going to be nice and cheerful and respect boundaries and respect timelines. And maybe they were even going to be able to do things together with their new partners and they were going to frolic along the grass with butterflies and birds singing. Let me tell you that she was completely wrong. (laughs) And that girl is me. Okay. The first thing I want to talk about is expectation versus reality. I had this crazy expectation of what co-parenting was going to be like, and it was going to look like the movies. And it was going to work so super well. And he was just going to be chill and I was going to be chill. And we were going to have like this wonderful co-parenting life. And we were still going to be able to continue to do family things for our child. And we were still going to be able to be in each other's lives and just pretend like everything was so super cool. Yeah, it didn't happen like that. No. And I really, really wish somebody would have told me 
it doesn't happen that way. Because when we have expectations, expectations are not bad. But when we have these big, ginormous expectations, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. The dictionary defines the word expectation as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Guys, we're setting ourselves up for like great disappointment. Not only that, we are setting our people up for failure. If we expect something to go a certain way and it doesn't happen, I'm setting that person up for failure. They're going to fail me and I'm going to be disappointed. There's going to be an argument. And I never not once communicated my expectations to that other person. We do this I mean, I do this often with my child. If I don't make clear rules or clear expectations of what I need from him, how is he supposed to know? How is he supposed to know that I need him to pick up the Legos after he is done playing with them? If I don't communicate that with him, he's not going to know. I'm going to be upset. He disappointed me. He feels like he failed me. It's a hot mess. Then we're talking to a therapist about it on Friday. The thing is, I have to remember to take it one day at a time, not only to take it one day at a time, but to take it one scenario at a time or one whenever I have to interact with this person or communicate with this person, be in the same room with this person. I have to just take it one step at a time. When I put expectations for myself and for that relationship, I'm going to be completely disappointed. And what does that happen? I'm upset. I'm crying. I have a headache. He failed me again. Nothing's changing. And it's awful. We really just have to live in the now and in the reality that is right now. And you can take that with you, not just with co-parenting, but just with anything, really, your relationships with your parents or your siblings or your significant other. We really have to stop putting these great expectations onto people because What happens is that they're going to continue to disappoint us and they don't even know they're doing it. In my case, he's not in my life 24-7 anymore. It's not a romantic relationship anymore. So when I go to communicate, oh my God, you totally disappointed me and you didn't keep your word. And he's like, yo, like whatever. I was just supposed to, you know, pick him up. That was my end of the bargain. I can't be angry with him. I just have to hold myself accountable for my actions and the way I react to that, right? So the very first thing is expectations versus reality. We can't hold people to these crazy expectations that we have created in our own head, whether it be a spouse, a co-parent, our children, our parents, whomever, because we're just going to get disappointed over and over again. We really have to make sure that we are communicating with what it is we need what the expectations are, and also really make them tangible. For instance, in this co-parenting dynamic that we have, if my expectation is for him to be at a certain place for pickup every other Friday when it is his weekend, I communicate that and I tell him, this is what I expected from you for pickups and drop-offs. That's not too much to ask, right? It's written down. I've shared that with him. Now I have to let go of that and trust that he's going to respect that. And guess what? Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. So when that Friday rolls around and he's late and he didn't stick to the expectation that I had, you know, in my head, it's like, I'm disappointed. Yeah. 
it wasn't too much to ask for you to just stick to the plan, but stuff happens. So then it's the reality of things like, all right, now how are we going to deal with it? So that is number one. And it's a list of eight. So moving right along to number two, we have to understand that when something ends, when a relationship ends, whether it be a romantic or non-romantic relationship, there is a mourning that comes with that. There is a loss there. Something died. My marriage died. And we go through mourning. We go through the motions of losing something. And we have to understand that you two people might not be in alignment with your mourning process. So what does that mean? So the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance, right? Well, while I was married, I knew the the last two years of my marriage, I knew in my heart, in my soul, in every cell of my body, I knew that this marriage was over and I needed to get a divorce. It was just a matter of financially when I was ready and when I knew it was going to be in the next few years or in the next year, but I knew in my heart that this marriage was completely over. I had checked out. I had started the morning process. Now there would be days that he would come home and I would literally be like in our bedroom holding my wedding album, just crying my eyes out. And he'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I would be mourning the marriage. I knew it was over. He had no idea. I couldn't tell him just yet for the safety of my child and my own safety. I couldn't tell him. This is just how things had to go for me. So the last two years of the marriage, there I was going through the grief process. Definitely denial at the beginning. No, this is not happening to me. I have the most perfect marriage. This cannot be happening. There's definite anger. Bargaining, of course, if I do this, my marriage will get better. If I, you know, lose the weight, my marriage will get better. If I buy the sexy lingerie, my husband will pay attention to me. If I change this behavior, he will come home earlier and he will want to be home more. If I do this, the drinking will stop. Definitely a lot. I spent a lot of time bargaining. Definitely depression. There was a hell of a lot of depression the last year and a half. Then finally something clicked and I just accepted it. And I was like, cool. Okay. I'm going to have to get a divorce. This is no longer safe. So by the time I left the home and I gave him the news and I said, this is like, I'm not coming home. And once I was settled into my new place, I was like, woo, bring it on world. I am ready to be this single mom and I am ready to do all the things. But what I didn't understand was that he needed to go through the mourning process. So when he would come to pick up our child and I was hunky-dory ready, like, you know, to go grab dinner or whatever. And he would see me and he was angry. I didn't understand why he was angry. And remember telling my sister, like, oh my God, he just needs to get over it. And shame on me for not giving him the space to do that. And by space, I mean, shame on me for forcing him to be at certain things with me. Just because I was ready didn't necessarily mean he was ready. I wanted him to be at our son's football practices. I wanted him to be at our son's games. I wanted him to be at the award ceremony for our child because I had finally 
accepted it and I was over it. I believe that as a community, as a society, we don't allow space for grieving, for mourning. And not just like in the sense of when someone passes away, but like just in everything. When there is a dynamic, a relationship that ends, there is a loss that comes with that. Back in March of last year, our kids went to school on a Friday and they did not go back. Did we ever think to give them the space to mourn that loss because that was a huge loss, something that was so normal to them. I know I didn't. I expected my child to continue to perform the way he was performing. I did not give him the space to feel sad, to feel tired, to feel angry. I never once gave him enough space to mourn that loss. We don't do that. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Number one, it's really freaking uncomfortable to have to sit with your feelings. Number two, it takes time. It takes time out of my day to have to sit with him and say like, how are you feeling? Let's get your feelings chart out. How are we going to deal with this feeling? Because we're constantly going, right? We're constantly this go, go, go mentality. Not only am I talking about, you know, the people that are affected within the inner circle, but think of the people on the outside, like, In a divorce, yes, children are directly affected by it. Yes, husband and wife. What about your in-laws? If you had a really great relationship like them, like I was really lucky to have, they're going to have to go through their own mourning process and give them that space, give them that time that they need. And if you've lost something, I mean, come on, guys, during this freaking pandemic, a lot of us. It sounds so silly, but some of like the restaurants that we used to go to are not going to be there. Those memories, yes, we're going to have those memories, but those places are not going to be there. It's okay to feel sad. We didn't give our teachers a space to more not be, you know, to not be able to go back to their classrooms for a really long time. If you've been at a job for 15 years and God forbid you lost your job, that is a loss. And we have to remember that not everyone mourns the same way and not everyone mourns at the same pace. So just because I was over it didn't mean he was over it. And it didn't mean my son was over it. And it was really difficult for me to do that with my child because there were times when, yes, I was completely done and ready to move on. And my child was like, so not ready. What is happening? This is not my home. I want to go back home. And to have to sit with him and listen to these feelings brought up so much stuff for me. But I had to give him that space to do that. And I think we need to start holding space for people and even for ourselves when we're going through some type of loss. Number three, responding versus reacting. I've been seeing this a lot in social media and when speaking with people, and I'm so happy to see it out there because people are now learning, like, I'm going to respond versus react. Believe me, as somebody who likes to be in control a lot of the times, and I'm I'm learning not to be. It's really easy to react to something versus responding to something. I have to remember to respond to my child versus to react to his actions or whatever happens. In a co-parenting dynamic, it is really, really important for your own sanity, your own mental health to remember or try to remember to respond versus react. 
When we react to something, we usually don't think it through. It's usually really quickly. I know for me, I get loud and sometimes it's angry. Sometimes there's yelling involved. There's a lot of blame that is involved and my mind is just not clear. I'm just making really not so good choices. In a co-parenting dynamic, when you do that and sometimes you can't help it, you just do, you're giving away your power you're giving away complete control because if you just take a step back and take a deep breath, say, okay, how am I going to handle the situation? We can learn to respond better. And we're thinking clearly and we're communicating clearly and we're back on track. You know, if someone is late for pickup and drop off and you start yelling and screaming, I cannot believe you're late. This is the third time this month. You know, it's not that difficult to just be here on time when you're supposed to be here. That's not going to solve anything. What's going to happen is they're going to get defensive right back at you. They're going to start yelling. Your child is now watching this. You're now teaching your child. This is how you take care of a situation. You just react. Yes, it's not cool that they are late, but if you just take a couple deep breaths and when they arrive, you get out of the car first, leave your child in the car. So they're not hearing this adult conversation to say, hey, um, I've noticed that this is the third time you're late this month for a pickup. And I'm not sure if it's your work schedule. Do we need to talk about timing? Is it just is the time not good for you anymore? Do we need to reschedule the pickup or drop off times? If it's as simple as that, then great. You have clearly communicated and there is a solution to the issue. If it's just they're a jerk and they're late, then again, that's when you have to remember to respond and say, maybe not then, maybe not there. Maybe it's through a a text message. Maybe it's through a court order. But okay, so now you're not going to respect the times. We're going to have to take it a step further. And maybe drop off and pickups are now going to be at the sheriff's station or Maybe now, since you can't seem to be on time on Friday, pickup is going to be Saturday morning or whatever it is. But remembering to respond versus reacting, it's hard. We have to change that behavior, right? Where at least for me, it's really hard to remember, okay, Rory, you have to change that behavior. And not just with him, but in my everyday life, with my family, with my son, with whomever I'm with, I have to remember It's probably better if I take a step back, breathe, and just respond to the situation. It also makes you, especially with our kids, it makes you a little bit more approachable to them. Because if I'm yelling at my child every single time something happens, then he's not going to want to talk to me. He's not going to feel comfortable to come and talk to me. And I want that open communication. And not just with him, but you know, with anybody in my life, if I continue to respond and yell and scream there when it's something that's serious or when they really want need someone to speak to, they're not going to want to approach me. And it is hard and we do need to remember to change that behavior, but just remember to respond versus react. Which brings me to the next point. This one, this one's a doozy. We have to remember to see them as individuals versus our spouses. And we have to relearn them, right? Because he, and when I say he, I mean my ex-husband, he is not the same person I married. He is not the same person I began to date 12 years ago. He is a completely different person, just like I am. 
and he has to learn to relearn me as well. And it can be something so small as to like, I was always a blonde. I was always a blonde. I was always a blonde and boom, now I'm a brunette. And maybe he's going to look at me funky the first day and be like, whoa, that color doesn't look good on you. Okay, thank you. I need to give him the space to just relearn me and relearn our behaviors. Maybe he was used to me being really passive and really helpful all the time. And now I need to take a step back because that's now my new boundary and I can't do that anymore. I have to remember that it's going to take some time for him to relearn me, just like it's going to take me time to relearn him. This past birthday party at our son's eighth birthday party was when that clicked for me. There was a moment in time and it was, it's still very, very vivid. It was after we were done cutting the cake and I looked over at him and he was there with his new partner and he like whispered something in her ear and she did that thing that girls do where they giggle and like they flip they flip their hair back and that's when it clicked for me oh you're no longer my husband I mean I always knew like the last three years I've known he wasn't my husband but at that moment is when I really felt it like okay, you are no longer my husband. And it wasn't a sad feeling. I don't want you guys to be like, I what is he thought? No, it wasn't a sad feeling because when I looked over, it was like an aha, good feeling, a good moment because he was there with his partner. You know, I looked over and I saw like my person there and my family was there and his family was there and we were just coming together for our child. And it just, it was a good feeling. So it's really about remembering that they are their own individual person now. I mean, they always were. He was always his own person, even when he was my husband. But now it's perhaps his behaviors have changed. Perhaps he used to be a person that was constantly on time and now he's late often. Perhaps there was a time where, you know, he was really super helpful about like car things and now he's not and that's okay. Maybe his attitude has changed a little bit. Maybe now he's a little bit not as approachable as he used to be. And that's okay. I'm just going to have to relearn that. Maybe before I would be able to text him whenever I wanted to. And now there's boundaries to that. And I have to relearn that. You know, it's something that takes a little, not a little bit, takes a lot of time because When we're going through the motion of like a divorce or separation, there's a lot of feelings and there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And we're constantly evolving and changing as, you know, humans. And it takes some time. And it might not be what I like, but that's okay. I don't have to like it, but I do have to respect it. And I do have to continue to remember that this person is no longer my husband. That relationship is no longer there. That dynamic is no longer there. And now we're just two people co-parenting and trying to raise a better human being. And even as we evolve and change as people, like, you know, everyone's like new year and you me, maybe now you have a different set of boundaries or maybe now you are going to approach things differently. Maybe now you're not going to be so nice. You know, maybe now you're not going to be so helpful. And that's okay. If those are your new boundaries, that's totally acceptable. But we also have to remember that as we're changing, as we are evolving, 
if we've been that person for whatever, however many years, and now all of a sudden our behaviors are changing, we have to give the people around us time to process that. You know, if you've been the person in your family who's always, people can text and be like, yo, what ingredients do I need to make, I don't know, shepherd's pie? And you would quickly respond or look for those things for them, even if you didn't know. And now maybe you're like, you know what? I don't know what's in shepherd's pie, but there's this thing called Google where you can ask. It's going to take your family some time to get used to that. If you've always been the person that brought lemon meringue pie to the spring picnic and all of a sudden you want to bring cherry pie, but you've brought lemon meringue the past 10 years, it's going to take people some getting used to the cherry pie. And it sounds so silly because, right, we should just be able to like, okay, yeah, it's cherry pie. But we're so used to certain behaviors that you have to remember to give people that space to process that. And again, being consistent is going not only to help you remember your boundaries, but it's also going to help them process that and knowing like, oh, okay, she's not fucking around this time. Like for reals this time, she's completely off sugar. So I'm going to stop bringing the chocolate chip cookies around or okay, for reals this time, like she's for reals a vegetarian. So let's have a vegetarian option for her when she comes over. So just remember that when people change, it has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with them. We don't have to like it. We do have to respect it. And we are going to have to relearn them just like they're going to have to relearn us. Which brings me to the next point. Just accept them for their new them. You know, like I said, maybe before they were constantly on time. And I don't want you guys to think that he's always like, because he's not. This is like just the simplest thing I can think of right now. Maybe before they were really an on time person. And now they are completely not on time all the time. You now have to remember that this is now something new. We just have to accept it. And again, communicate with them. Hey, you know, you're not on time anymore. And this is really bugging me. I'm going to need you to really check your schedule and see what's going to happen. Perhaps before they were very loving and they spoke to you very sweetly. And now they're not that. It has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with them. And we're just going to have to accept it. I know for me, I've changed a lot. My boundaries and my limits have changed so much, so much. It's not a bad thing. You know, before I would be so extremely helpful and I was so invested in making him better, making him a healthier person. And now it's like, I can't. I can't do that anymore. I'm really sorry. I would like to, but that's my new boundary. And those are my new limits. And this is the new me. No, that doesn't make me a bitch. No, that doesn't make me ungrateful or unhelpful. This is just how I am now. And you don't have to like it, but you are going to have to accept it. And you know what? If that other person doesn't want to accept it, then they don't necessarily need to be in my life. As a co-parent, that's not an option, right? It's so much easier to just accept it. I had a really hard time accepting certain things from my ex-husband. Before, when we were married, a night of fun was us at home chilling, watching cops or hanging out with the family, whatever it was, barbecuing. Now that's not the case. Now his idea of fun is something completely different, something that I have no control over. And I have to accept it. I don't like it, 
But it's so much easier for me to just accept that and on some level be okay with it and understand that it has nothing to do with me. And that's just the way he is now. Which brings me to number six, that you can only control you. Sounds really simple. I can only control my actions. I can only control what my son does when he is with me. I can only control what I feed my child when he is with me. I can only control how much TV time he has when he is with me. I cannot control what is outside of my four walls. And I cannot control what happens when my child is not with me. This has been the hardest thing for me to understand and to practice as a co-parent. Because I so desperately want to make sure that my child is okay. I want to make sure that nothing bad is happening to him. I want to make sure that his little eight-year-old brain is not being affected by the things he sees around him. And the truth is, I have zero control of that. And through my journey of separation and co-parenting, This is one thing that I am trying so hard to remember that mantra like every time I have to interact with him. I can only control myself. I can only control how I respond, right? goes back to responding versus reacting. How am I going to respond? I can control how I respond to the situation. I cannot control the situation. There was an incident back in December where he was supposed to do something for me And it required him to be a parent. And we had discussed it. There was a plan in place. I had confirmed the plan two or three times. And when I arrived at his home, I realized this is not happening. Stuff is going to get messed up. My plan is going to go out the window. And I had a choice. I could have either responded to the situation or reacted. And I chose that day to react. And did it affect him? Absolutely not. It affected me. It affected my mental health, my anxiety, how much fun I had on the trip. I totally let it overwhelm me and consume me because I was constantly thinking of what was happening back home. We cannot control anyone else's actions. We can control us. We can control how we respond. And we can say within our power, if we do those things, if we remember to do those things, it's really freaking hard, really hard, especially coming from a place of knowing the possibilities of what could happen, being in a relationship with somebody with substance abuse issues, you know how bad it could go. And there's so much that comes with that. But at the end of the day, it is their choice what they do when your child is with them. You can't control that. It really fucking sucks. It really makes you feel terrible. And learning to cope with those things And learning to cope with the unknown makes it a little bit easier. I'm so very thankful for our therapist. I was able to call her that day and tell her a little bit of what was going on. She reminded me, Aurora, you can only control you. How are we going to cope with it? And again, it's consistency. It's practicing those coping mechanisms. It's, you know, having a plan B in place. I didn't have a plan B. Remembering to respond versus react all these things. And parents, it's really hard to remember that we can't control our kids all the time. We can do the best we can and teach them everything we can. But at the end of the day, they're going to make their own life choices. The people around us are going to make their own life choices. It's our job to work on us and support them and just continue to just accept them. Number seven, 
with everything that I've said, like expectation versus reality, understanding that they might not be in the same alignment with you, responding versus reacting, learning to accept them, learning to relearn them, learning you can only control your actions, its boundaries. The next one is boundaries, your own boundaries. And how much time do you really want to interact with them? And is it worth it? Is it worth your mental health? Is it worth your time? Is it worth all these different factors to really spend time with them? And, you know, at the beginning, I really, really, really wanted to spend as much family time as we could on the weekends for the sake of our child and for the sake of keeping those memories there. But because he wasn't done going through his morning cycle and I was still trying to control the situation and I still had this crazy expectation of things, it really wasn't fun. And I'm, for whatever reason, maybe all the ones I listed, was still the person that was getting the shitty end of the stick. Like I was still being hurt. I was still being made to feel really bad about my decisions. And so at one point, I really had to really talk to myself and say, is it worth it? Is it worth what's going to happen? Over time, he's healed a little bit. We've healed a little bit. But over time, I think we've both realized that for the sake of each other and our own mental health, it's probably not the best thing to spend a lot of time with one another. I came to that conclusion before he did. And I really had to stick to that boundary. And when there was times where, you know, oh, let's go to breakfast together. That was such our thing. Like if you knew us when we were married, you knew that on Sundays we would be where at hometown buffet with our kiddo having breakfast because that's what we did. That was our thing. And really having breakfast with him now as divorced parents, it's not, it's not really worth it anymore. And I sound really awful for saying that, but everything that came with it, all the baggage that came with it, I've realized that is not worth it for me anymore. Wanting to do things with him on Father's Day, it's just not worth it. Yes, we will buy him a card. Yes, we will buy him a gift. However, going through the cycle of everything else that comes with it, it's not worth it anymore. What I had to learn was what situations do I want to be in? My son's birthday party. Yeah, it's something that my son holds near and dear to his heart. It's something we've always done. You know me, I got to go big on birthday parties. And he loves seeing his family together for him to celebrate him. So yeah, it's something that I've said that is worth it. I am willing to have to spend that time together because it is worth it. And with that comes accepting that my child is always going to have the memories of when we were married. He's always going to have good memories of mom and dad. However, now I get to make new memories and new traditions with him. Christmas is not going to look the same. Now he gets three Christmases. Thanksgiving is not going to look the same. Now he gets two Thanksgivings. Fourth of July is not going to be the same. Some Fourth of Julys he'll be with dad and some he'll be with me. And you'll have different memories and that's okay. Because if I am trying so super hard to maintain those memories, and I'm not asking myself, Aurora, is it worth your mental health? Then what's going to happen? We're going to be at a place. We're going to be arguing. We're going to be giving each other dirty looks. I'm going to say something. He's going to say something because we're going to forget all these things. And my son's going to have really ugly memories of mom and dad together. And this is why we are divorced. 
So really ask yourself, how much time do I want to spend with them? And is it worth it? For some of us, it is going to be once a year at our child's joint birthday party. For some of us who are really super lucky, it's going to be a lot of other times and great that you guys can do that. For others, it's going to be only pickup and drop-offs. I can only handle pickup and drop-offs. And then for some, it's just, you know what? This is too hard and I can't even do pickup and drop-off. And that is okay. You are the only one that knows what boundaries, what are your limits. Just because this works for me doesn't mean it has to work for you. Maybe one day we will be there where he can come and help me during the week, during homework. I would really, really, really like that, but we are so definitely not there yet and maybe it will never happen. That's okay. Which brings me to my last and final point and maybe the most important. They're all important, but this one's a good one too. You can't make somebody want to do the dishes. And by that, I mean... You cannot make someone want to behave a certain way. We've all seen the movie with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn, where she's like, I want you to want to wash the dishes. And he's like, nobody wants to want to wash the dishes. I so badly want my co-parenting partner to want to parent, to want to pick up the phone and say, hey, I got off work early today. I know, you know, you guys have homework today. Can I pick him up and help him with homework? I cannot make him want to do that. I so badly want him to want to spend quality time with our child. And maybe he does. He's just executing it, not in the way that I would execute it. I cannot make him want to do things for our child. I cannot make him want to pick up the phone and say, hey, I didn't go to work today or I didn't have work today. Can I pick him up and take him to the park to hit a couple baseballs? Hey, I know it's been really hard for you and I'm sure you need a break. Can I go pick him up to give you a break? I can't make him want to do that. That has to come naturally. And it goes back to me wanting to have like the control and expectations and all that stuff. This one hit me like a ton of bricks because... I married someone that I knew was going to be the world's greatest dad. I knew that he was always going to have the best intentions for our children, our child. I knew that he was going to be the dad to spend endless Saturday mornings with him. And that was him while we were married. And then things changed And I learned that those things stopped happening and those behaviors stopped happening. Those behaviors changed and he became someone else and someone different and not that person. And I had mourned the husband, but I never gave myself time to mourn the father. And so now we're at a, we were at a point where, I mean, guys, it was really bad. I was yelling and saying like, I want you to want to do these things. And one day it got really bad and I was sitting in my car just like crying and I was like, girl, you cannot force somebody to want to do something. You cannot make someone want to be on time. You cannot make somebody want to spend additional time with someone, whether it's your child or you can't make your boyfriend want to spend an extra 20 minutes with you. You cannot 
make your mom want to cook you a meal, it has to come naturally. Because if it doesn't, then it's not genuine. It's not a genuine thing. And does it hurt? Yeah, sometimes it hurts. But it goes back to all I can control is me. All I can control is how I respond. All I can control is the conversations I have with my child about these things and ask questions. When I say ask questions, I don't mean, you know, interrogate him, but just how do you feel? How does that make you feel? Because if I react to it and say something along the lines of, what do you mean you guys didn't do it? All you guys did do was watch TV this weekend. And I pick up the phone and I yell and I scream. That's going to cause anger and tension between me and his dad and tension between him and his father because then dad's going to question him as to why he's telling me these things. And then that's going to close the gap of communication between me and my son. I don't want that. You can't force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. You can't force somebody to want to get help. They have to want to get help. This last thing has been really hard for me. I am a person who wants to create really great and wonderful experiences for people. And I think I do a pretty good job of reading people and making sure that I'm doing everything that I can to have a really great special moment in their life. And I do my best that I can as a mom to make sure my child is getting nurtured in every way that I can possibly think of. I am a person who likes to be in control. I am a person who has been conditioned to be ready for anything that can possibly go wrong. I am learning to change those behaviors. I am learning to say that is not who I am anymore and I'm just going to go with the flow of things. And I am learning that I can't control someone else. I can't make them want to do things. And I think once we start realizing that and accepting that, which is the hardest thing to accept that, and it can be really hurtful and really painful. But once we accept that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm just going to worry about me and I'm just going to do me and I'm going to be the best mom I can be, the best sister I can be, the best confidant that I can be, the best whatever, the best girlfriend, the best lover, the best godmother I can be. I can't make anyone do anything. I can't control anyone, but I can control the way I am with people, the way I respond with people. I can control my boundaries. I can control my expectations. I can control accepting them. I can just accept people for who they are. And I leave you with those words, my friends. Remember to be a gentle, kinder individual with yourself. Remember to be a more gentle individual with your little human beings, your children, if you have them, with your family members. It was a really hard year and, you know, it's an, we're beginning a new one. And if we can just remember those things and start remembering to apply them in our everyday life, we are going to be just better people. Thank you for allowing me to share my space with you. Thank you for being here. I welcome conversation and dialogue. Um, I will soon have an Instagram page and an email where we can discuss these things. And I will catch you on the next episode. One last thing before I leave. Remember to do something for yourself that fills your cup. Fill your cup today. Whatever that is for you, whatever that means for you, 
Just do something for yourself today. You have my permission. Not that you need my permission, but make sure you do that for yourself. Until next time, guys. 